And welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I am Cody Fields. I am the president of Noseminster LLC, uh, including Nose Pedal and Westminster Effects. Uh, you can go to westminstereffects.com and give me all your money, and I will give you all my guitar effects. So I am joined by Bradley Cox, lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And this is John Ross, the grumpy Lutheran uh, theological curmudgeon from Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> And we have a guest in our multi-million or billion or multi-hundred dollar studio. Tens of dollars. Uh, Yes, tens of dollars being spent on this production. And Bradley, you know this guy the best out of all of us. Uh, Tell us who this guy is. Well, this is my friend, um, Seth Kane, and um, I'll let him tell you what he's doing now. But a little background context, Seth and I co-pastored Resurrection Church for eight years. Was that right? Seven or eight years? Right. Uh, Here in Greer before um, Seth launched out, and we were honored to be a small part of that launching out uh, for the church that he's pastoring now. Uh, So, Seth, tell us what you're doing and who you are. Um, Yeah. So I'm the rector of Village Church Anglican uh, in on the west side of Greenville, South Carolina, and we planted the church about four years ago, met in elementary school, and just bought a 100-year-old Methodist um, building, which is kind of unique in that it's actually a Gothic style and um, pews in the round and what have you. So it looks like Um, it should be an Anglican church. (laughs) It looks like an Anglican church, which, of course, the Methodist church comes was founded by a lifetime Anglican, obviously, and John Wesley, so... Um, yeah, so we've been at it for four years. We're on the west side, which is a, a very socioeconomically diverse but changing context. And we're one of about, I would say, four um, Anglican churches in, in our county, which is, um, you know, kind of unique to Anglican sort of parish mm-hmm. life as well. So Yeah, you use the term uh, rector, which most of our uh, audience is going to have no idea what that means. Is that really just pastor or does it involve? It's just short for that? spiritual director. Sure. Sure. So, I so mean, basically it, it's a pastor. A, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, the distinction is there just simply on the basis of um, that a pastor is, is more of a, you know, we think of it as it's a particular gifting or office and the mm-hmm. director is somebody over a parish. So it's gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah. A lot of old and dusty words that we still kind of use, so, and that's one of them. So also being Anglican, that means you have J.I. Packer's number, right? You can hook us up? Um, I'm just kidding. I don't, unfortunately. I do not. If I had it, I would give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the reason we have uh, Seth on today is recently at Resurrection, uh, Bradley, you led us through a communion liturgy. Mm-hmm. And these days, and this is the first time it's been done here, Yep. Uh, usually we hear liturgy and we think super formalistic. We think, oh, quote unquote, overly structured, which there is such a thing. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean everything structured is bad. Right. Um, we're called to do things uh, decently and in order and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so what's up with this liturgy thing? What is it? What does it mean? Why should we care? Well, you know, the reason why we did this at Resurrection recently was, um, you know, we taking communion, coming to the Lord's table has been a a regular part of our rhythm here at Res. And I say regular, 
um, in comparison to my experience growing up in church, uh, and I think that's true of a lot of evangelical churches, is that taking communion is something that was done maybe once or twice, three times a year mm-hmm. at most. Uh, whereas now we've seen more of a trend to come to the Lord's table more often. Some evangelical churches that aren't liturgical coming every week to the Lord's table. and But I just felt like here that we had slipped into, I don't know, some complacency, uh, thoughtlessness, um, it, it just becomes a matter of routine tagged on to the end of our services about twice a month. So we hit pause on it for a rather lengthy period of time. I'm not sure exactly how long we went without receiving communion as a church. It was a long time. It was a long time. <laughs> we, I just hit pause on it and I, and I did that, you know, mostly on purpose, um, because I wanted us to come back to it with some fresh, um, intentionality and, and, um, I don't know, just rootedness. And so I actually called Seth and I started asking Seth questions about, uh, communion liturgy that he does every week with his church. Mm -hmm. Um, and he actually, um, you know, resourced me with you, you guys are in a, you call it the ordinary period right now. Is that ordinary time, ordinary Mm -hmm. time. And, and so we pulled, some things from the ordinary time liturgy um, uh, from Seth's church and had a very rich experience um, a, a couple of Sundays ago coming to the Lord's table with this liturgy. And it, it was just power. I had some of my folks saying this is the best church service they had ever been in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody said this was too Catholic. <laughs> no, I did pause and explain the word Catholic in the Nicene oh, Creed fantastic. Um, because I thought there's certainly there was going to be somebody that said resurrection church has turned Catholic on us, you know, um, and sorry for the accent, but that it, it, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, I'll leave that alone. All of, all of our Northern listeners are already thinking you have a ridiculous accent. I know, anyway, right? I know they're probably comments already, but so anyway, I, it's something that's not, you know, part of our regular rhythm here at Res, but it was a very rich experience, and mm-hmm. um, I know that's something that you guys, Seth, um, do every week. And right. um, so, yeah, that that was kind of the impetus behind the conversation today. Is maybe we could say it's the 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 place or the benefit um, of liturgical worship in what you might call the modern worship context in, in churches that mm-hmm. consider themselves mm-hmm. uh, having modern worship. So, yeah, sure. So here's a, here's a thought. How about we kind of go through these sections and kind of talk about what they mean. And obviously it doesn't have to be exactly this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just how we did it a couple weeks ago. Um, just as, just as an example, because, you know, obviously a liturgy would involve an entire service mm-hmm. on us, obviously. Um, but this is just kind of how we how we went through communion, and we started with a prayer for purity. And I did take out some of the old dusty words. Okay, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I believe Bradley. The word you're looking for is sacred. Sacred, <laughs> right? Sacred he words. used old. Seth said old dusty a while ago. So I did I it for your benefit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it starts out with this prayer for purity. Why would why would we need to pray for purity before taking communion? Right. Well, I think, I think it's important to, um, to know sort of the background of, of 
the whole journey, the liturgical journey, because in liturgy, sure. liturgy just means the work of the people. So it's an old yep. dusty word too. But um, it's actually built on a, it, it's influenced by the synagogue. It's influenced by the tabernacle. It's influenced by the idea that people come in, they wash their hands. They come in, the mm-hmm. priests come in and for the priesthood of all believers, there's a sense in which, and in some churches, and in our church during a certain season, people come and they actually come to a baptism font where we have water that's been blessed, and they'll dip their hands and be reminded of their baptism, of their mm-hmm. washing. So that's a prayer that sort of invokes that that sense of... Some people in, you know, jokingly call it the scary prayer because you're, if, if really God is in his holy temple and yet he's coming to... to mediate his presence with us as we gather mm-hmm. that's a big flipping deal yeah. so right while it does is it reminds us that that's you know we, we can domesticate god so that gives us that first step right it's it's that old rc Sproul line is god is holy and we're not that's right Where, yeah. and, and, and that automatically kind of sets it apart from most of modern evangelicalism mm-hmm. where where it seems so much of it is saying if we only knew how good we are Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this this is the exact opposite. It's man, yeah. I am jacked up. So what you got over there, John? Well, the uh, uh, the pr- the prayer for purity. Right. Uh, very similar uh, in in usage. It would seem to be uh, to almost an invocation of sorts, uh, which. Would or or an invitation to the table. Now I'm not sure what portion of your service this landed in, uh, Bradley. I, I would I would assume at the beginning of um, what people in my tradition would call the divine service, as opposed to the service of the word. Divine service mm-hmm. being uh, being the the sacrament of the altar, um, and uh, you know, in in my tradition is is as well as many others. There is that. Uh, that moment of reflection that we are in fact not worthy to come to the table that we shouldn't have been invited but nonetheless are because of the goodness of God and that's a very important realization to take you know when when we're called forth um, to to be in communion with him and and consequently with one another awesome so then we went into a summary of the law and then a prayer for mercy and then a song, which we sang Raised to Life, which seems appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what's the deal with the summary of the law and then the prayer for mercy? Doesn't God love me just the way I am? <laughs> <laughs> um, sir, he loves you just the way you are in terms of his own heavenly and holy imagination. And so we enter into that by Christ's fulfillment of the law. And so Christ says there is essentially he fulfills the law in himself, and then our response to the law is love for God and neighbor. Mm-hmm. So as God mediated his presence in the temple, mediated his presence to his people as they gathered, you know, the the people have now a work to do, which is what? To love God and to love their neighbor, whereas fulfilling ceremonial, you know, righteousness and other things is no longer the centerpiece. So that's what that that comes very quickly after to and, and we actually during what we call penitential seasons, we actually read the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and we, and we say, Lord have mercy after each of them. And there's still that sense in which 
that mercy is rooted in what Christ has given to us. So the summary of the law, this is a reminder that there was a law and Christ has fulfilled it. And we now can take what he's fulfilled and enter into the world in love, to love God, to love your neighbor, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So, Very cool. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I kind of saw that, like, you know, also, I don't know if, if I was thinking rightly about this because, I mean, this is new to me as well, but um, that also hearing Christ say that the law summed up in these two commands, mm-hmm. and yet it flows right into a, a prayer for mercy because I'm, I'm also reckoning with how I fail at that. That's I right. fail to love God with my yeah. whole heart and I fail to love my neighbor as myself, mm-hmm. which comes to bear in the confession, That's confessional right. prayers that are prayed right. later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in addition to what you're saying, that was kind of how I didn't explain that, Yeah. but I just sort of hoped that people you know, saw that. You too. don't really have to. I don't think, I think it tells the story, you know, because in the end, that's what, that's what this liturgy is, is it's, if you sort of zoom out a little bit, it, it isn't, as I said, it's, it's a narrative arc, right? It's like we break it down in sort of four parts, but they, those all belong into it's taking you somewhere every, it's taking you into the presence of Christ and sending you back out into the world every mm-hmm. Sunday, mm-hmm. every first day of God's new creation, yeah. you know, which is what Sunday is. Not the Sabbath. It's the first day of God's new creation. It's, re- it's a resurrection day, little That's Easter. Good. That's good. Yeah, so we go from we go from summary of the law, prayers for mercy, and then the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. Why why a creed? Uh, we have the Bible, right? <laughs> I hear that so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John, you want to speak to that? Yeah, why a creed. I mean, sure. So yeah, we definitely have scripture, right? Uh, and and together we confess that that what God gives us in Scripture is is accurate. Uh, but when we confess a creed, whether it be uh, the apostolic, uh, the Nicene, the Athanasian, if you're really feeling adventurous, uh, we are confessing and lifting up with one voice that not only are we confessing this to the world, we are confessing this to one another. Uh, mm-hmm. When we join at the table of Christ, we are joining in communion, not only with Christ, but with one another. And when mm-hmm. we do so, it's important for us to be in agreement with one another because we are in concord. We are in community together. And so when we do that, when we confess uh, a, a creed, we're using the same words that not only everyone in the space is using, uh, but a good chunk of all Christians of all time have yeah. used, are using, and will use. Yeah. And that's really powerful. There's a, a certain quality of transcendence. Uh, to the use of creeds as well. Not only that, but it's a it's a succinct, understandable explanation of the core teaching of the gospel and why it's important. And you know, John, like I, being that I pastor a church that does not do liturgy like this regularly and hasn't done it, and so for a lot of our people, this was very new. I probably had three or four or five conversations where I asked some of our folks that were just so blessed by this. I said, you know, think about when was the last time you said out loud what you believe? Mm-hmm. You know, like when was the last time you did that? And I, what you're saying, John, about how these creeds in such a succinct way summarize the core 
doctrines of the church and then to just be able to say that out loud with my fellow brothers and sisters uh, in a church service like that was just powerful. Yeah, definitely. And this, um, we, the creed for us is right after the, the sermon. And I sometimes end the sermon by saying, do you believe it? And then we begin the creed. I believe in God, the father, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so it's, it's what it is. It's a response to the word too, where it falls in our liturgy. And it, yeah, I mean, it's, those are, I mean, great points that we, <laughs> you get people come to your church and what does this church believe? And of course they can scour your website. And if you do a good job, they'll find some things. But on Sunday morning, I think it, even if it's intermittently, it's a good thing for people to rehearse it. And, and, I, and I would say, and respond to the preaching of the word, not just with, hmm, did that bless me? Did that whatever? But do I actually believe it? Wow. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to get used at res I think what he just said. <laughs> well, that, that'll yeah. preach <laughs> well it's on tape now so if you need proof for a, a trademark dispute just there you yeah. go check out the Westminster yeah, so, podcast yeah so you can so do you really believe this and then it's confession and comfort mm-hmm. so what, what's the deal with confession and comfort so um, you know we're we're heading toward there's a shift all of this belongs into responding to the word so we start with celebrating god's presence Mm -hmm. hearing god's word the second part the third movement is um responding to god's word and if if you believe it then you recognize that the journey you're called to is repentance and confession and then but you can't stop there you you know then you we need to hear the proclamation of our forgiveness you know, I remember Derek Webb said something that the musician, that songwriter, said something that was powerful to me probably 10 years ago um, that I need to hear the gospel every day. Mm-hmm. So what that is, is to confess, to repent, and, you know, you don't stay there. And then I, as a priest, stand up. If our bishop is there, he stands up. And in some sense, it's to say not, hey, I've got a special authority with God, but it's to it's for you to hear that, you know, it from the from the voice that has has in many ways a um, has a responsibility of your soul and of your life that you are forgiven that God forgive we don't pro, pro, I don't pronounce an absolution like it's not mine it's God's and then the comfortable words which they were developed in the Reformation because the Catholic Church loved to sort of hold people's confession and repentance over their head and then yeah, without the yeah. absolution being extended. And, you know, that was just part of the medieval Go church at the time. Go say some Hail Marys. Holy Black some of the words, Yeah, and, and that still exists, you know, and right. I think the Catholic Church dealt with a lot of that, especially at Vatican II, you know, in the middle of the 20th century. But they, they um, that those comfortable words were wonderful for people to hear when they were under the boot of a legalistic, you know, so, yeah. th- so just read the scriptures. These are four of them that we do. I don't know what you guys did, but they're four I, I just used two of them. Um, right. so but, but it, but that was the, th- what you're saying yeah. is, was, was what was evident to me in the way it flowed. Right. <clears throat> so we've gone from asking God to purify us. We've summarized the law. We've stated what we believe. We've confessed that we don't live up to believe. And then we've been comforted. And now we finally get to the commun- the actual taking of communion. Uh, let's talk about the words of institution. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, uh, at least as far as I've seen, growing up in the Church of Christ, we did uh, communion every Sunday. And it was 
somebody did basically a like a little five minute devotional uh, before the bread, mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. came back, um, prayed, distributed the cup, and then it was over. Uh, we didn't really have a, a, a concrete take eat this as my body which is given for you do this and remember it uh, remembrance of me sometimes it was but it wasn't necessarily always mm. concrete so why do it why do it so uh structured like that i mean i can hop in on this um sure so i am slightly embarrassed at the time right now i'm googling anglican communion theology uh so you may have to <laughs> fill, fill me in on that um <laughs> So in the Lutheran tradition, uh, when we take communion, when we're called to the Lord's table, it's not just bread and wine. It is, and and nor is it completely body and blood either. Mm -hmm. What we call the sacramental union, which is a a very much a a miraculous thing that we don't claim to understand, but that's what we call it. Uh, We believe that not only is this bread and wine but it is also body and blood in in so much as the body and blood of Christ Jesus is in with and under the bread and the wine so that we are receiving both one to the benefit of our bodies because God serves us Mm -hmm. uh, and and provides for our flesh, but also to the service of our spirit. Well, Uh, we can, we can ask Zwingli about that, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll go pull the Lutheran confessions off my shelf. That was a fire fight! Um, (laughs) So coming from that background and that understanding, that's where the words of institution become important because we don't believe that the, the pastor has the power to summon Christ into our midst. We believe that it is solely the word and promise of Jesus Christ when he says, this is my body, this is my blood. Mm-hmm. And when he says that, we're inclined to believe him. And because it is only the word of God, that is why we will never have the sacrament of the altar, communion, Lord's Supper, without the words of institution. Because not the recitation of those words, it's not a magical incantation, but without the word of Christ, there's no promise. And without the promise, there is no communion, whether Mm -hmm. physically or spiritually. And so for us, those words of institution have a very deep and impactful meaning. Mm. I think it's an interesting conversation. I mean, the Anglican church is... Would you say it's in line with that sort of Luther approach to, you know, I mean, like I hear these terms and and I'll confess that I'm not totally. I mean, I I, historically I've I've aligned myself more with Swingley on communion than Luther, Um, but I'm more inclined to, I mean, the term real presence to, to, to understand that Christ is uniquely present mm-hmm. at his table and it not so much be about the, the, the bread and the wine as it's just that he's there mm-hmm. uh, in a uni- unique way when his body comes together to receive. So, I, I mean, mm-hmm. what, are there differences between Anglican church, the Anglican church and Lutheran tradition in this regard not a lot i think probably calvin was closer to uh, developing 
um, sort of the Continental Reformation developing more of where we are, but it's the same. It's very much a consubstantiate. Some people, you could sum it up that way. I think there are a little bit of problems there, but um, it's, you be we believe that Christ is really somehow present in and over and around and, and through and in the tasting and in the touching and in all of these things. And a lot of that really, first of all, you cannot understand it and make sense of it without knowing that the context of Jesus' institution is Passover. And pa we know what Passover is, is, that God acted sovereignly, showed up to protect the people from, um, from judgment. Um, and then we know that the Jews for generations after, of course, began to remember that in a certain way, not just recall it cognitively, but to act it out because, and believing that God was present to them in that. And of course, Jesus becomes the Passover lamb in that. So it's, there's a sense in which, and, and I explain it to people this way too, is that, I mean, Christ is the marriage of heaven and earth. He's the marriage of, you know, of kingdom um, and, and life as we know it. And so there's a medium for that. And so Christ promises to meet us in this tangible, tasteable thing. And, and I think it's also a reminder, you know, in, within that thinking like late modern people, postmodern people is we're not just brains on a stick, right? We're not, mm -hmm. we're not just re recalling that. That's not even what the word remember is when, when Jesus says it, recall to your cognition. It's a in some sense, it's a regathering of the whole story and personhood of Jesus. It's a really deep understanding that, again, is enriched by the Passover tradition. So that's lost on most of us as late moderns, but we try to continue to come back. Part of our liturgy says, um, you know, um, when we break the bread, Christ, our Alleluia Christ, our Passover lamb is sacrificed for us. So we, we recontextualize it every time. And so that, these words of institution are about getting us right back into that tradition so awesome well we we've established that john grew up lutheran bradley and i did not grow up in our current theological stances and my understanding is that you did not grow up anglican i didn't know so, so tell us a little bit about that what made it attractive to you and all that kind of stuff yeah um if i'm honest I, a lot of my what I found in the Anglican, the first Anglican service I went to was a, um, I found relief and rest from a lot of striving to have enough faith, which was part of, it was informed by strong charismatic Pentecostal and holiness leaning toward, mm -hmm. toward performance and a sense of like, and, and honestly, the first service for me that I went to was when I went to grad school at Wheaton and I uh, went to a church that we were invited to, which is Anglican church. And I watched people line up to receive communion. Some were in tears, some were in thought, some were singing, what have you. And I was like, oh yeah, it's about Jesus. Like, and, and that's, that's a little bit hard to admit that for me, it had become a lot about me. And so me, not that it, it was about Jesus, but it was about me somehow, somehow um, ascending to the quality of, of truth that Jesus is and person that Jesus is and what have you. And I found myself leaving church thinking about me instead of thinking about Jesus. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, so that was, I came, I really grew up kind of on the fringes of the Pentecostal world. My mom was in and out of church and then I wasn't in church for most of high school. And then I ended up at Emmanuel college, which is a Pentecostal holiness school, met Bradley 
came to faith there uh, as part of the choir uh, that we played in together. And so for me, I started out in the Pentecostal and holiness charismatic world. But man, I ran out of gas pretty quickly uh, in what I would say is a lot of the holiness side and even the performative side. Like I've got to come to church in some requisite state of like if Ashley and I fought on the way to church, it's like I might not really experience the presence of God today. I'm like, it's just going to be all flesh all the time. So it was just a lot of relief for me in that way. And so I was in the Anglican church for two years and then we came back here and um, involved in other churches, including Res. And Res, I think, was, you know, communion was important. That was in some ways a lifeline to me continually. And I think it was, you know, it was good for the church. And as Bradley's saying, like he's sort of revisiting that wealth of what it brings. And so and then the Anglican Church in North America began to grow and um, it sort of found me again. And then I ended up uh, planning the church. And um, I think we always were sojourning, hoping to be back into the Anglican world. So Gotcha. Yeah. Well, let's see. We are right at 30 minutes. So unlike Bradley's sermons, we're going to go ahead and <laughs> You're just wrong for that. <laughs> That's the other thing about liturgy is I've got to preach shorter because so, 25 minutes. <laughs> where the, so the Sunday we did this, Seth, the Sunday we did this, oh, um, <laughs> the, we have two services. Um, and the, in the first service, I, you, you had told me, I think it takes you about 10 or 15 minutes to get through communion. Right. And so I, I'd kind of had that in my mind and. But, I, you know, I, I put three worship songs in, in the middle of this liturgy, you know, throughout. Were made. and uh, dude, we ran all we ran right up until it was time to start the next service. Uh, now, the second service I course corrected, I cut out three or four pages of notes in my sermon and we got to the liturgy quicker and we did fine. At least you didn't cut out communion. I did not cut out <laughs> communion. I was, was one of those. I was determined <laughs> we were going to do this whole thing and do it right. Yeah, and great. so it is a bit of a learning curve for me because uh, we just haven't done a whole lot of this. But yeah, um, but yeah I, I've got to preach shorter. And this was one of those rare weeks where I wasn't <laughs> playing because I was at the NAM show peddling yeah. my pedals. And uh, so I get here for the second service since Kristen was running sound. It's just like, well, we'll just run, grab lunch afterward. And we've got like a line of people <laughs> there was outside. A line all the way out in the parking lot <laughs> waiting right, to get right. in the it second was, service. It was yeah. almost like a handshake line at a funeral or yeah. something coming out the door. It was, yeah. it was pretty hilarious. So that that is a, one of the critiques of liturgical, especially if it's a much more what – I say that use this word, it's kind of disparaging, but it, ceremonial where, you know, it's it's about the liturgics and not necessarily, it's about doing all of those things in the right way. And many give a homily that's maybe 10 to 12 minutes. And that's what a critique often is that, you don't you're not really preaching the word, like you're not teaching and preaching right. the word. But I would say in more like evangelical Anglican settings like ours, you're, it's a 25 minutes. You know, sure. So you it's kind, of the, it's kind of the sweet spot, but it's hard. It can be hard, especially if you really are inclined to do some in-depth and, and expository type stuff. Yeah. So if, Definitely. If, yeah. if your goal is to uh, be one of the Puritans. And right, right. <laughs> I mean, if, if, we look at, hours, right? if we look at liturgical orders, I mean, they can get incredibly detailed as well. That's right. Um, and the benefit of, of that, and I think the one thing that we've kind of glossed over is – the payoff uh, like why is the liturgy such a attractive thing and 
not only does it give us a, in its very basic form, an order of service to follow, uh, a, a rubric or, or routine. People know what's, what's coming if you're visiting from out of town, if, if you find uh, a church that comes from a similar tradition as yours, there may be a possibility that they're using a similar liturgy. You can jump in, feel at home. Um, now, that's not to say that's universal. In fact, it's becoming more scarce to find congregations like that uh, because many are moving away from a uh, what we call a litany-based liturgy or a call and, call and answer where the, the, the pastor or priest would say, uh, would say, either the first half of a psalm and, and be uh, responded to or uh, responsive reading or, or something like that. And, and taking the path of the liturgy being a order of service without all the specifics. What's cool about either approach, though, is that the liturgy, while being the work of the people, is uniquely put together, regardless of what liturgy it is, to point people to Christ. And I think we touched on that uh, a little bit earlier, is that uh, even if you don't get a, a long homily or a long sermon, the components of the liturgy, whether in order or whether in text, are pointing us back to Christ as, as the source of, of all goodness, the source of all things, mm-hmm. that, and the source of our salvation. And... Uh, I, I think maybe that's one thing that uh, that attracted you to the Anglican tradition is when you were feeling very me-centered. Mm-hmm. In worship, you were pointed to Christ, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When you were when you were talking about uh, the the order of worship that you're uh, used to, uh, it may be the very same. It felt very similar to what we call the the, the worship W uh, that. Worship begins with God. He gives us his gifts. We then return praise and thanks to him. He gives us his gifts of sacrament. And then we again return praise and thanks to him and, uh, um, and then bless mm-hmm. others on our way. Um, and none of that really makes much of a difference if it weren't to be pointing to Christ the whole time. Right. And I think regardless of whether we do the invocation and the sanctus the offertory or the the prayer for purity or confession and absolution i think the important piece of it all is whatever we do in worship should be rooted in scripture and point us to christ mm-hmm. amen to that oh yeah <clears throat> and the, a huge part of the liturgy i think to add and it's a great great way of putting it is if we're pointing to christ where are we pointing from you know, like where, where are people coming from where, as they're moving toward Christ? And what I think I hear a lot of people saying, most of our church, 80% of our church are new to the Anglican church. They're coming in and, and they, what I hear is some synonym for it's just stable. Like I know what to expect, which might seem antithetical, especially if you're thinking of church 20 years ago, you're tired right. of the same old thing. But now I think in some ways there's a sense in which what I hear people saying is like, you know, they, they, they can't remember a word I preached or the songs we sang, but man, they needed to hear, they needed to hear that they're forgiven today. And they needed, they needed, like I tell people this about like, what, what's the requisite state of coming to church? Just open hands. And so they get, they do that. And in the end they receive from Christ. And so 
I mean, I think I think our culture is exhausted in some ways. I think you know, um, and overstimulated, and all of these things. And I think on some level, the this is a thing that start people are starting to find some level of relief in. And I, sometimes they can't articulate it, but man, when they when it's there and it's not moving, and they can just enter into a story that they that makes so much sense to them, and they're not hinging on whether because God knows. I mean, sometimes my sermon is just it's a dud you know i mean uh, <laughs> i feel like it is maybe others don't but if i feel like you know today it really just i don't know it was, it was a hard text um gosh to, just to know that 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 christ is being preached as a better word you know yeah. on the sun it's just it's a people go okay and um and it does it brings sabbath rest i experienced some of that the sunday we did this when mm-hmm. i mean i it wasn't necessarily a hard text. We were preaching through Nehemiah, but we were at Nehemiah 9 where Ezra offers the this incredible prayer of repentance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there was there was an element of freedom that I felt in just... I, I kind of went through Nehemiah 9 and said, this is what happened, this is what Ezra did and why, here's mm-hmm. how the people responded and and here and now we're going to you know because they respond by making a covenant reaffirmation they they yeah. write it down and sign it and this you know we've failed you god but we're your people and now we're going to commit ourselves to you and your ways and I, I i just made the connection to say you know the lord's table is our covenant reaffirmation mm, it's right. where we we come and the the covenant is not written on parchment it's now written on our hearts and our minds and not with ink, but with the blood of Christ. And Mm -hmm. that was a powerful connection for me. Mm -hmm. And I think for our people, and it was freeing to let the liturgy sort of affirm that without feeling like I've got to tie it up in with a neat little bow in a sermon, you know, Mm -hmm. definitely the, to magnify the Lord, so to speak, to, to borrow the words of Mary. Exactly. My soul magnifies the Lord. Our liturgy magnifies the Lord. Heck, our lighting should magnify the Lord. You know, I was having this conversation last night in our planning meeting uh, for our uh, our two eleven service at Christ Lutheran, and uh, was discussing uh, having an aside with someone next to me and how absolutely everything we do should magnify the Lord and bring attention to the gospel. Amen. And well, gosh, gosh darn it. Well, Seth, uh, thanks for coming on, taking yeah, time out of your day, and yeah, and hanging so. out with us, talking about liturgy. Uh, we like. Yeah, it was good to chat with you. I'm surprised you didn't show up in a robe and like vestments and things. <laughs> I was no. really disappointed. I'm I tried sorry. to get him to bring yeah, it. No, we're not. Um, I, I'm a, two days in a collar, two weekdays in a collar, and the other days I'm in flip flops and. Occasionally in flannel, depending on the season. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, we like to uh, to end every episode with recommended reading. Uh, if somebody wants to read up on liturgy or maybe your perspective or even just your favorite book mm. in general, uh, throw, it, throw something at us. I think everybody who's interested in these things needs to read uh, For the Life of the World mm-hmm. by Alexander Schmemann. Um, and then if you haven't read... Um, Anything by James K. A. Smith, you know, uh, you are what you love. So he talks about practice-based um, discipleship. You know, um, that's a great, great book to read. 
Um, Heavenly Participation by Hans Borsma, B-O-E-R-S-M-A, out of Regent. That's another great one to sort of understand and make sense of why it is we worship holistically and we're participating with heaven with every part of who we are. So those those three, to me, are like um, really pretty accessible and good. Very cool. What you got, Bradley? Well, knowing that Seth was coming and we were going to talk about this today, I picked up a book that you, Seth, recommended to me years ago called Accidental Anglican. Oh, yeah. Uh, by Todd Hunter. That's right. right? Yep. Um, and I'd read it before, but I read through reread some of it today. Um, and it's a really interesting story. I don't know that it's going to help a whole lot of people understanding the depth uh, of liturgical worship. Um, but it's interesting. And it was, I don't know, I guess I identify with Todd somewhat because here's a guy that went from, I think he was saved in the Jesus movement Mm -hmm. and then planted a, planted a Calvary chapel church and then ended up when John Wimber died, president of the Vineyard Association. Right. And then was on his way to retirement uh, from that, was going to kind of hang it up and go fishing. I don't know what he's going to do, but he ended up becoming an he's Anglican. Go collect shells. Ended up becoming Bob an Penny. Anglican bishop and has right. planted hundreds of Anglican mm-hmm. churches in West Africa. Huh. Am I right about that? Well, I mean, he has, he's the bishop of, in, in the ACNA, in our, in our, um, fellowship he's bishop of a diocese called Christ, um, churches for the sake of others so it's a non-geographic right. so they they find you know where we don't have a presence and he becomes their bishop so okay places like portland and other places yeah so, yeah, so accidental anglican by todd hunter yeah cool what you got john uh today i've got a it, it's written like a textbook but it's a good read it is called gathered guests by hmm. uh timothy mashke uh from concordia publishing house it is uh, written from the perspective of the Lutheran tradition, as is much of the stuff on my bookshelf, which does annoy me just as much as it annoys you. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic text that goes into vivid detail about the why of almost every component of, of uh, a more formal liturgical form of worship, uh, the whys behind the, behind the different uh, worship components that we mentioned here today between the the creeds and confessions and words of institution uh but also uh the more non-essential things uh worship space aesthetic aesthetics excuse me using stained glass as a teaching tool uh and the list goes on uh so it is uh, definitely an encyclopedia of uh of worship from the perspective of a more formal liturgical format all right and mine for this week in keeping with the theme of structure is the New City Catechism put out by the Gospel Coalition. Um, It's, well, basically everybody's being catechized, whether it's question and answer format or just in general by watching TV or by watching VeggieTales, for that matter. (laughs) Um, But this, you know, it's it's 52 questions. You can take a, a question a week or you can even do a question a day and have almost two months worth of material and it's it's a great summary of the gospel and what god has accomplished so i would i would encourage anybody especially anybody who doesn't have a a rigorous catechetical background in the first place pick that thing up it's cheap and i'm pretty sure they have it all on an app for free anyway 
Good. So New City Catechism. Right on. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I don't care if it's honest, like I say all the time. Just leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. Um, also, in the show notes, we have Amazon affiliate links for all of these books that we recommend. And if you buy through that link, uh, we get a little bit of a kickback and hilariously enough i don't know how this happened but a couple weeks ago someone bought a two thousand dollar sir guitar through one of our links and we got a kickback of 150 dollars to put toward the show so i don't know what happened with that that's fantastic so i won't complain about that at all that's a Um, that's a big purchase for amazon like right right i didn't even know that they had such nice guitars on amazon in the first there's like a virtuoso who's like so introverted like he literally can't cross his doorstep but he's got like Amazon Prime and, and just a credit card, and he's going after it. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, uh, this week's song is by Ben Horton, who is actually responsible for all of the new uh, Westminster Effects graphics. So you can thank him for the new Calvin compressor art, the new Calstonian right dual reverb, all that good stuff. It's his project, The Hope Arsenal. And his song, The Dweller, off of his album of the same title. You can get that on Spotify and iTunes. Thanks a lot, guys.
my face. 